0: Amen. Well, welcome Christ, fellowship. Isn't it great to gather together to worship our great God? Amen. Man, it's great to see you all. Welcome. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And uh, I want to welcome all of our campuses right now joining us all through Miami Live, and as also everyone online. In fact, family, let's go ahead and show some love right now to them, because we love you, and we're thankful that you're joining us today and you know on this Memorial Day weekend it is a big weekend because we are starting a brand new series called back to the future and that we have been on a journey through the gospel of Mark and we're starting Mark chapter 13 this weekend which is which is called the Olivet Discourse where the Lord sits down with his disciples and begins to reveal to them and to us What the future holds. And so I am ready and excited to dive into God's Word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, verse 3 through 4, and you can follow along with me as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. And as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, speaking of Jesus, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked them privately, Tell us. In fact, everyone say, Tell us. Tell us. Everyone say, Tell us. Tell yeah, us. yeah, Lord, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? In other words, the disciples wanted to know what the future held because the more they understood where history was going, the more they would be confident and they will have peace in the present. Amen? Yeah. And that is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. And, you know, being a kid that was raised in the 80s, I was fortunate enough to witness a lot of the iconic film series that we all love. And one of those series has to be Back to the Future. In fact, everyone say Back to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future. Now, in case you haven't seen these films, I encourage you to do so. But let me just give you a quick overview of what takes place. Because each film centers around the main character, Marty McFly. Yeah, and he is your typical teenager from the 80s. And folks, in the first film, he's accidentally sent back to the past to the year 1955 by his scientist friend who? Yeah, Dog Brown, yeah, Dog Brown. And he does that by putting him inside of a time-traveling car called the DeLorean. Yeah, many of us have remembered that car with the, going, with, the, with the doors going, suicide doors. But anyway, here's what happens. Stay with me on this. Because when they went back to the past, they realized that their actions in the past changed their current reality. And so after they went to the past and they fixed everything, they did everything with their parents, making sure everything was fine, and they came back to the present, they thought that everything at that point was perfectly fine. And Marty thought that his future was secure. But here's the thing, his future was not secure. And so at the end of the first film, his friend, Doc Brown, arrives at his home and warns them that they have to go back to the future. In fact, take a look at this scene. Yeah, hey, we all love those scenes, right? If you were raised in the 80s, you kind of have an itch to go back home and watch those films. But, you know, I love the question that Marty poses in that scene. He says, what happens in the future, Doc? What happens in the future? You see, because when Marty and Doc didn't know that the future was secured, listen, they couldn't feel secure in the present In other words, it wasn't until they went to the future and ensured that the the future was secured then that in the present day they can live with confidence and they could be at peace. And family, let me just bring all that over to our time together because what an image of what knowing that our future is secure does to the child of God, does to to our soul, amen? Amen. And, And by that I mean that just like Marty and Doc only felt peace only felt secure when they knew the future was, was fine, was good to go, just like that. And here's the big takeaway as we start this brand new series. So the child of God finds peace and finds confidence today, not, knowing, not only knowing what the future holds, but knowing that their future is secure and it's for their good. Amen. And who knows, maybe you're out there right now, you're watching, you're thinking, Omar, What does the future hold? How do we know that? Because there's many companies and organizations that spend millions of dollars just trying to figure out out what's going to happen in a couple days, in a couple weeks. So how is it that we can know what the future holds? We're going to find out from Mark chapter 13, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 13. You can fire up your apps right now as well. And today, I have three thoughts for you about the future, all right? So write this down as point number one. Jesus reveals a future to us through these things called prophecies, prophecies. Now, let's go to the passage for today and listen to what it says. And as he came out of the temple, speaking of the Lord, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? I'll stop right there for just a moment. Because as Jesus is walking through this temple, the disciples are in awe of this beautiful building. In fact, that temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world, and it was cut with such fine, perfect stones, and it was overlaid with gold to the, fact, to the point that in the mornings and evenings, it was hard to look at because of so much splendor coming out of that temple. And so as he sits down, so he leaves the temple, he goes down a little valley and goes up the Mount of Olives. And there he sits with his disciples, and he has a good vantage point of that temple. In fact, let me just give you a modern-day vantage point of what they would be looking at. So as they would be sitting right here in the Mount of Olives, in a little valley, and that right there is currently where the old temple used to be right here. Now, this right here is the uh, Dome of the Rock, it is a mosque. Uh, that was built later on, which we're going to tackle this later on. But just, I just want you to understand that right where the temple was, that was their vantage point. They were looking at this as we go through this chapter. And so as our Lord sits with them, he begins these prophetic teachings about the future. And we're going to tackle that in the next several weeks. But family, before we dive in into these prophetic words of the Lord... I think it's important for all of us to be on the same page, have some general guidelines as to prof- these prophetic teachings, almost like I wanted to start off by just setting a foundation so that we all can be on the same page and view these prophecies through the same lengths, okay? Can we do that for a moment? Yeah. So write this down as letter A. Here's the first thing I want us to understand. First of all, that prophecies often have near and far fulfillment. In other words, we need to understand that most prophecies in Scripture, when they are given, not only do they have a near fulfillment several years from that point, but oftentimes the same very words or the same paragraphs have long-term impact, long-term fulfillment. And so, for example, when we go through this chapter through the Olivet Discourse, here's what we're going to see that part of the words or some of the statements that Jesus gives are gonna be near fulfillment. They're gonna be fulfilled in the year 70 AD, right? Some of that, and and that's when uh, Jerusalem is attacked by the Romans. But other parts of it, and sometimes the same words, also have far fulfillment, which means that there are prophecies that will extend all the way through present history. And so until we get to the great tribulation, which we're tackling next week. And so I just want us to understand, right, that oftentimes the same words could have double meaning. In other words, near and far fulfillment. So here's the second thing. Write this down as letter B. Prophecies give enough certainty now and complete clarity later. In other words, when God gives us prophecies, Oftentimes, it's enough information that, with certainty, we know that something's coming. But, but oftentimes, it's not until we get to that point or we pass it and that happens that we say, okay, now we truly, clearly understand what the Lord said. So it's almost like driving down a foggy road, for example. You know, when you're driving down a road and you see something on the side of the street, it's kind of foggy, you know, but, and you know with certainty that something's coming. But family, it's not until you drive past it and you see exactly what it was and you see exactly with clarity what you saw back there. You see what I'm trying to say? And so many times when we look at this, when we look at these prophecies, it's enough information for us to know with certainty that something is coming. And so here's a a third thing I want us to just kind of be on the same page about. That prophecies must be studied with a spirit of humility. Amen. Mm-hmm. Now folks, the reason I say that is because I've been in seminary, in theological circles, in pastoral circles, and it amazes me sometimes how some people take a position in regards to the end times, which is fine, but they get so certain about it that they almost become prideful about it. And, and so what my desire for us, and for myself as well, is that as we come to God's word, Always, right, with humility, but especially with prophecy. Listen, we're coming with a heart of humility that that we ask, we understand, and we're trying to figure out, and we're going to take a position in what we're going to read. But family, always with a spirit of humility, because ultimately, one day, we'll truly understand what the Lord said and how everything is perfectly fulfilled. Amen? Amen? And so as we go through this chapter... We're going to see that through the Olivet Discourse, Jesus breaks up the future into three sections. In fact, let me just show you, give you a bird's-eye view of what we're going to study. So verses 1 through 13 deals with present history. And so from the time that Jesus spoke to the beginning of the tribulation, that's what we call present history, which we're living in right now. Then in verses 14 to through 23, it's what we call the Great Tribulation. And we're going to be covering that next week. And then in verses 24 through 27, we see that Jesus talks about his second coming. And so we're going to be talking about that in the third week. But I share this with you so that you have a bird's-eye view of where we're going and how this is broken up, okay? And so as Jesus sits down with his disciples, he's first going to begin to reveal present history. And family, here is what he reveals to them and to us. Write this down as big number two. Is that present history will become progressively worse. Progressively worse. Now folks, don't forget who Jesus is speaking to here. Because the disciples at that point we're probably in their late teenage years, early 20s. In their mind, they're thinking, well, we're the closest followers to the Messiah, right? When he takes the throne and he establishes his kingdom, we're going to be loved by everyone. We're going to be honored by everyone. We're going to have prestige, we're going to be honored. And so basically he's telling them, listen, that their life, from that point on, will not get better, will begin to get worse. Not only that, but also for the city of Jerusalem. And folks, we see from history that the beautiful temple that they were seeing from far away, that beautiful temple would one day be invaded by the Romans in the year 70 AD. They would surround the entire city of Jerusalem, cut off its water, cut off the food, starve them pretty much to death. Once they're weak, they invaded that city, they destroyed that temple, every stone was taken off. The whole city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Everyone, mostly everyone in that city was massacred, and the few remaining people were spread all throughout the world. So all that took place in the year 70 AD. But we also see that this prophecy not only applies to the near term, but applies to the long term. And so what the Lord is going to show us today is that as present history continues, things are not going to get better but things are progressively going to get worse. And so the disciples asked them, which is our question as well, well, Lord, what are the signs that we need to be looking? What are the things that we need to be looking for so that we know that history is on track according to your word? And so here's the first thing that Jesus tells them. Write this down as letter A. The first of all, there will be an increase of religious deception religious deception now let's go back to the past and listen to how the lord answers it says and jesus began to say to them see that no one leads you astray many will come in my name saying i am he and they will lead not some but many people astray you see shortly after the death and resurrection of christ because He wasn't who they were expecting uh, Christ to be. There were other people who came up, I'm sure were were claiming to be the Messiah, And so a big battle of the early church was not only battling heresy, but also battling all these people who claimed to be the Messiah. But folks, at the same time, we see from Scripture that as history progresses towards that tribulation, that there's gonna be a lot of religious deception. For example, even just in the last several hundred years, We've seen a, a number of cults being coming out of Christianity, such as Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. You know, they, they have their own leaders, so to speak, that they twist the truth of God to fit their own theology and to fit their own uh, views. So there's a lot of people who are following these different cults that emanate from, from Christianity. But even recently, we've seen an increase of people claiming to be the Messiah. In fact, let me just give you a, a, a quick, some quick numbers. You know, in the 1700s, there were two people who claimed to be the Messiah. In the, years, in the 1800s, there were seven people who claimed to be the Messiah. In the 1900s, there were 27 people who claimed to be the Messiah. And folks, even at the start of this century, in the first 21 years, we already have eight people who claimed to be the Messiah, and family, even in Miami, listen, we have seen that already. I don't even remember, but several years ago, there was a man up north in northern Miami who claimed to be Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, had thousands of people following him and leading people astray. But you know, the reality is that most people who claim to be the Messiah, oftentimes they're small players. You know, they don't really have that, that much influence, but there's going to be one in the future that I think will have a great influence and kind of start fulfilling a little bit of this and that is Islam's Mahdi. You know, you, you may not know this, but in Islam, they're, also, they're waiting for a Messiah. And, and, and under their view, their tradition, it's called the Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I. And he's the, the guided one. And, and in their view, in their tradition, when this uh, Mahdi arrives, he is going to be the one who discovers secret gospels, secret scriptures, interesting enough, around the Sea of Galilee, and he will be able to start to say how all the other religions are false, including Christianity, and he's the one who holds all the truth. And, folks, this leader is going to be an unparalleled leader, a leader who leads many, many people towards, astray towards Islam. In fact, some say that he might be the antichrist the Scripture talks about, which, by the way, we're going to be talking about the antichrist in the weeks to come. So don't worry, but I just want to give you an understanding that what the Lord is warning us here is that as we get closer to the end times, there's gonna be an increase of religious deception, all right? So we need to understand that. And next, write this down on letter B. We're gonna see an increase in political wars, in political wars. Lately, we've been hearing a lot about that, huh? In fact, listen to what Jesus, how Jesus continues. It says, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, Don't be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So we see in the early first century, the near prophecy of this, that there was rumors of war and eventually what took place was they were invaded in the year 70 AD. But family, in the long term, what we're seeing also is that history is also progressing and wars are escalating. You know, it's interesting that As technology increases, so does killing power, doesn't it? In fact, for some of us who are young, for most of us here, you know, just recently, the First and Second World Wars took place, and it may seem long ago for all of us, but in terms of history, it's very, very near. You may not know this, but the, world, but the First and Second World War was devastating. We saw nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom starting to arise. The Axis powers, the Allied powers, they were going coming against together. For example, we saw uh, soldiers, we can continue, we saw soldiers from different places coming together to battle nation and Confederacy against Confederacy. So we saw that, and the destruction that took place during that time was significant. But you may not know this, but The First and Second World War had 95 million people who died. Think about that. 95 million people. The biggest bloodshed in history. And so what the Lord is trying to show us here, listen, is that as the world progresses, people thought it was going to get better with technology, with wisdom, and things are progressively getting worse. See, the Lord actually foresaw that this world will never know peace. This world will never will continue to, to, the, to go down in morals, in spirituality, in all these different things. And so we will never improve morally the way we, we want to. So we're going to devolve into more and more wars as we go into the, in the future. And we don't know what the next decades hold as we move into the future. So that's another thing. Here's a, here's a, here's a third thing he warns us of. Write this down as letter C. I said, there's going to be natural disasters, an increase in that. In fact, listen to the next verse. It says, there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. But these are but the beginning of birth pains. So as history progress, we, we start seeing that there's even more and more natural disasters. And even here, I think we can all agree, you know, early, I remember growing up, whenever I heard of a hurricane coming, a hurricane category one or two was the scariest thing possible. You guys remember that? But now, when a hurricane is coming, we're praying it's category one, right? It seems like every hurricane is four or five. And so, what I want you to see is that there's shifts in it, even nature. And the Lord's warning us that as we approach God the end times, nature will become more and more unstable. It'll begin to grumble and it will become more and more unstable. So, so so God wants to understand what's happening with nature, but there's even a greater sign, okay, that I want to camp on, camp camp on for the next several minutes. And this, 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 write this down, letter D. It's that there's going to be an increase of Christian hatred, of Christian hatred. Now, let's go back and see how the Lord continues. It says, "But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils." And you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. Amen. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Now, a little side note here, in the early uh, century, for them, the nations were the Roman Empire. It's interesting, by the year 70 A.D., all the Roman Empire had pretty much have heard of the gospel. But Going The the far fulfillment is that the nation must be proclaimed to all the nations before the end time. So just a little side note there of the near and far prophecy. But notice, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. Listen to that. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And notice, and you will be what? Hated. What? Hated. Hated. And you will be hated by all for my sake. And so as the Lord is sitting there on that Mount of Olives, he's looking at these young teenage boys, and he's saying, listen, listen. Things are not going to get better. You will not live a life of honor. You will be hated by all for my sake. And so we see that as they would begin to continue their lives, we see that in the book of Acts, we see how they, all everything that Jesus said was fulfilled. They would be dragged before governors. They would be dragged before rulers. And they would have to give an account of the gospel. And family, the hatred for these disciples became so great that they, even get, they ended up giving their life for the sake of the gospel. You know, uh, James, who was one of the ones who asked, was actually beheaded early on in church history. We see John, his brother, was boiled in hot oil to the point that he was covered completely in scars, miraculously survived, and he was, they couldn't kill him, so they sent him off. To this island called Patmos, and he was spending the rest of their life, an older man full of scars, and he wrote there the book of Revelation. We see that Peter was at one point crucified, but he didn't want to be crucified upright up like his like his savior, so he was crucified upside down, and that's the way he died. We see that Matthew was killed by the sword in a mission trip to Ethiopia. We see that James, the brother of Jesus, the blood brother of Jesus, who did not believe who he was at first, he eventually will be taken to the very temple and thrown off of it and killed at that moment. We see Nathaniel, he was a missionary to Asia and he was whipped to death. We see that Andrew was whipped near to death and then put on a cross and left there to die. We see that, uh, uh, that Thomas, doubting Thomas, you all know doubting Thomas. Listen, that young man, he went to India and was stabbed to death for his faith. We see that Matthias who replaced Judas, was stoned and then hanged later on. And we see then that the Apostle Paul, listen, who wrote most of the New Testament was killed by Nero. Family, those are our church fathers. Those are the people who who paved the way for us. Hatred increased for them to the point that they gave their life for the gospel. And family, when it comes to us, Listen, as history progresses, listen, there'll be a hatred, an increase of hate towards the people of God. And folks, listen, I don't have to tell you that we are in a season in history where we're seeing a significant change in people's view towards us, right? In fact, just several decades ago, you know, being a Christian, having Christian faith, having Christian morals was something that was admired was something that was looked up to. And then in several decades, there was a shift to now people saw us in a neutral sense. Hey, you wanna believe all that, go for it, but don't even talk about it, you can believe all that stuff. But folks, that went from, from something being admired to neutral, and folks, right now, listen, you can, there's almost a disdain and the hatred for the believers. You know, it's interesting that for other religions, there's no hatred towards them. They're protected. But the Christians, oftentimes, we are the ones who are hated, and it's almost a tangible hatred, a tangible disdain that that society has for us. And folks, listen, when you see what's happening socially, right, when you see what's happening politically, listen, it could be very discouraging for us, because the way that they paint Christians, the way that we are viewed oftentimes is that we're people who are naive, they see people and us that are close-minded, that all we care about is some ancient documents. Interesting enough, they see us as the one who oppose social moral progress. The irony of that, that we are the ones who are in the way of morality. And family, when you and I turn on your phone, when you turn on the TV and you see what's happening, listen, it could be very, very discouraging for the people of God. And folks, the reason the Lord warned the disciples and us today about what is happening and the hatred that will continue to mount as we approach the end times is that, listen, we will never be at a point that we ever think that the gospel is not true. That we will never get to a point that we think, listen, that God is not as faithful as he said he was. That we will never get to a point that we think that God is somehow not in control. That we will never think that something is not going according to the words of Jesus. No, 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 no. Listen, Jesus is being very careful here. And he's helping understand that everything that takes place, everything that takes place in history is ordained by the living sovereign God. There's nothing that happens on this earth not a day that happens, every decision is ordained by God. Why? Because he knows exactly where history is going. And family, when we see the words of our Lord, it should give us peace today that no matter what happens, it's expected. It's going according to plan. And family, listen, not only that, but it should also put an urgency in us to pass this truth to the next generation. Listen, if you're a parent out there or a grandparent, listen, you and I, we have a tremendous responsibility Amen. because we ought to pass God's word to our children to our children's children, to their children's children. Because listen, we may not be experiencing the full blunt of hatred, but listen, our grandbabies, our great-grandbabies, they might experience things we will never think of. Just think of what could happen in 20 years, 30, 40 years. Listen, we need to get ready the next generation. And so we need to continue passing on God's truth so when they get to that point that they are good to go. They, God's word is in their heart and they're able to endure in their faith. Amen, church family? Yes. This is, folks, why CF kids, our ministries are so important that we're passing on God's truth to the next generation. And so, family, because we know things are going exactly as planned, listen, there should be peace. And, folks, it should motivate us to do the following write this down as big number three. Listen, we must then endure in our faith until the end of our lives. Amen. In fact, listen to what it says next. Jesus says, and you will be hated by all for my sake. And listen carefully. But the one who what? Endures. Say it again. Endures. Endures. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So, folks, Jesus is clearly telling us, listen, that only those who endure till the end will be saved. It doesn't matter how bad get things in your life, personally or socially, the ones who endure in their faith to the end shall be saved. In other words, that's what theologians call the perseverance of the faith, that a true believer in Christ will persevere through every trial. Will persevere through every disappointment, will persevere through every discouragement, will persevere through every hatred in society, whatever it takes, a true believer in Christ will persevere in their faith until the very end. So the question is, okay, Pastor, what happens if someone just walks away from the faith? Did they lose their salvation? Well, listen to what God's word says in 1 John chapter 2. It says, They went out from us. They walked away from Christ, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, if they had been true believers, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may be complained that they are all not of us. You see, family, notice the fact that someone walks away from the faith and never returns is not a proof that they lost their salvation. It's proof that they were not true believers to begin with. But then here's what happens. Notice what the very next verse says. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. On, and you have all the what? Knowledge. You have all the knowledge. In other words, you are God's chosen people. You are the people of God. And God has given you his word so that you know what's coming up in the future. Yes. And, folks, that's, the way, that's one of the ways that we endure. We have God's word, and we endure in our faith. But there's another aspect to this too. Because not only would do we endure while having knowledge, but we endure by coming together and physically worshiping the Lord. You know, it's interesting the, the the apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church in Romans, he says, This for I long to see you. I long to gather with you. And here's why that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, there's something that happens when the people of God gather physically to worship God. Listen, you might not talk to everyone in the room, but just their mere presence, the fact that they're here, there's people who are going through trials, discouragement, issues in life, but we're all worshiping God, that is encouraging to us. That's when no one comes to church and walks out and says, ah, that was a waste of my time, no, why? Because something happens when the people of God gather together. That we are strengthened by each other's faith. We're strengthened by each other. And, folks, that is why God's word warns us to not neglect to meet together. As it is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see that day draw near. You know, I know that this season of COVID has been, has knocked us out of our habits in many areas of our lives. It's happened to you, it's happened to me. But it's easy for this pandemic to have knocked our habit of coming together to worship God. And so what I want to encourage you, especially right now to all who are watching, listen, if you're of good health, if you're not high risk, if you're living your life like like you were before, you were going to stores, you were living your normal life, and you have gotten out of your habit to come and worship God with other people, come on now. it's time to break that bad habit. Amen. It's time to come together to worship God because it is good for your soul. It is good to be with God's people and worship God together. And if you know somebody right now, listen, that their habit, they're out of that habit, call them bring them with you buy them lunch afterwards listen carefully it's their soul needs it their soul needs to be here with the people of god so that we could be encouraged and we endure in our faith to the end the easiest way not to endure is to not gather with god's people so family we have god's word and we come together and that helps us endure to the end so let me end with this you know As we talk about all these prophetic teachings of long-term future, sometimes you might be thinking, well, how does that impact me today? Well, here's the truth. Listen, if God has every single day in history ordained and is working everything out for our good, then you can be sure that in your life today, everything that's happening in your life is in the hands of the living God. You know, you might be right now watching us for one of our campuses online, and you may be discouraged, you might be downcasted, you may be confused about something, a marriage issue, you're getting close to divorce, financial issue, all these different things, health issues, children things. Listen, whatever it is, the Lord is with you He has every single day of your life in his hands. This is why King David, when he went through hard times in his life, he said this in Psalm 31, he said, but I trust in you, O God, and I say, you are my God my times my days are in your hands every day child of god is in the hands of the living god rest in that truth just like you rest in the lord for all of history you rest in god today for your personal life amen who knows maybe you're out there right now and the truth is that you are here you're lost you're confused and there's something in your heart that says you know what i need to get right with god I I don't have the relationship with God that other people have. I I need to start this relationship. How do I do it? Very simple. The Bible says that it's not about coming to church. It's not about a ritual you did when you were a little kid. It's nothing like that. Here's how it is. There has to be a definite point in your life where you come before the Lord and you put your trust and your faith in him, in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And the Bible says that when you come to the point that you surrender your life, you put all your trust in him, and not in yourself anymore. He forgives you of all your sins, past and present and future. He adopts you as a son, a daughter, right? You're a creature of God, a creation of God, but you're not a child of God until you come to him. And then he gives you everlasting life. And for the rest of your life, your future is secured with him. But you have to come to a point where you say, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. Today's the day where I start my journey with you. So the question is, will you trust him today? As us bow our heads for prayer. Father, today I come before you, O Lord, and we all thank you, O God, not only that you have given us your word, but, Father, you have given us together, our each other, to help us endure in our faith. And so, Father, help us, Lord, trust you as we endure whatever the future holds. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, listen, if you are here today at one of our campuses or watching online and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm ready to take that step, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And this prayer is not a poem we always talk about. that. It's simply me helping you talk to the Lord. But listen, when you pray, you don't pray this to me, okay? I'm only a man. I cannot save you. There's only one God, one Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is the one who saves you. So you pray to God and not to me. So as you pray, you pray this to the Lord. And if you already saved, you start praying right now for those people around you. You pray for those people who are giving their life to Christ. You have a point in this as well. Amen. So if that's you right now, pray this with me. Father, today I realize that the future, Lord, is going to get progressively worse. And I even, even though I don't know what the future holds perfectly, Lord, I know that I want to start my, this life with you today. So, Lord, I come before you. I confess my sin before you. I put all of my trust in you. And, Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, Lord, help me to live a life that honors you from now on and brings you glory, knowing that my future is secure in you. And for all eternity, I'll be in your presence. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for today, for all your blessings. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say now. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give a shout of praise. To our God and to those people who can pray that prayer, if that was you want to encourage you, make sure on your way out you stop by a first time be, uh, uh, by our next steps table. We have a Bible for you. We have some people who want to help you take a couple of steps, just a couple of minutes, not much, but we'll help you take steps or go online and fill out a connection card, alright? Well, I'm gonna call all campus pastors to the front and be back next week because we're covering the second uh, 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 the second portion of history, which is called the tribulation. And I think we'll all be um, encouraged by what the Lord is going to reveal in the future, right? So call all the campus pastors to the front, love you all.